for today. As we're finishing up our series on spiritual disciplines, there are an untold number of spiritual disciplines we could get into and follow and study on into forever. But we're going to wrap it up today with one that may be one of the most instrumental, powerful, and difficult. Forgiveness. Have you ever felt so wronged by someone that nothing done to the person who wronged you seemed to ever be enough to undo the offense? They wronged you and and then something happened to them, but it, it, it felt like it wasn't enough because it still felt like you were wounded. You were still hurting because of what they had done. And you wanted the hurt to go away, and so you wanted them to hurt more to undo your hurt. But more hurt doesn't undo hurt. It just causes more hurt. Well, we're going to look at something today dealing with that issue, forgiveness, as taught by Jesus, and, and the way he teaches it is, I mean, every, the way Jesus teaches everything is so powerful, but it, it, it should become a foundational part of who we are as Christians. It should be elemental. It should be, when you think of a Christian, the forgiveness, the way Jesus teaches it, ought to come to mind. In a similar way, I went to the basketball game the other night. You can't play basketball if you don't dribble. How can you be a Christian if you're not going to forgive? It's foundational, fundamental. So open in your scripture to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you're going to use a Bible in the pew rack, it's on page 823. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those home. You can have that one. Uh, we, have, we also have Spanish Bibles. We have uh, children's Bibles. If, if, if you have a child who needs a Bible, everybody should have one. And uh, we would be more than happy to make sure whoever you have in your life has one. Matthew chapter 18. Now, some interesting things have been happening in the life of Jesus and his disciples up to this point. Uh, at the beginning of this chapter... Uh, the disciples were having a discussion, um, as they often did. Um, if you read the Gospels straight through, you see this is a common theme that comes up. This question that they're, that they're asking each other and arguing about even came up in the upper room after they had the Last Supper. And they're arguing with each other about which one of them is the greatest disciple. Which one of them is the best which one of them is Jesus' favorite? And so they're asking this question, and Jesus kind of rebukes them and says, that's not the point, guys. He teaches them about the lost sheep, and then he teaches them about what to do when somebody sins against you, how you're supposed to respond. And the response that Jesus gives, we often focus on the wrong thing. We often focus on what we're supposed to do to the person after They sin against us, how we're supposed to get them back. But the way Jesus frames his his teaching is about restoring the person who wronged you, is the perspective from which Jesus teaches it. 
And so in response to that teaching, Peter speaks up, as he often does, and he says this in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, before we get into Jesus' response, as many of you already know, there were two common Jewish teachings in the first century about forgiveness. One common Jewish teaching was you forgave somebody up to three times. You could forgive them three times, but if they got number four and they sinned against you, you're not obligated to forgive them another time. You can still forgive them three times, not four, and still be considered godly, it was some of the teaching. That's not scriptural, but that was some of the teaching of the day. <clears throat> Another common teaching of the day was you only needed to forgive somebody one time. They sinned against you, they wronged you, you only need to forgive them once. And then they do it again, you don't have to forgive them again. But something that was tied to that teaching, that was taught right alongside it, was that person's eternal forgiven status hinges upon whether or not they're forgiven by the other person. So let that sink in just a second. If you wrong somebody, according to this teaching, then your eternal forgiven status would depend on whether or not they forgive you. But thanks be to God, that's not the case in Scripture. That our eternal forgiven status has nothing to do with whether or not somebody else forgives us. It has everything to do with God forgiving us. It doesn't matter how somebody else feels about us or thinks about us. All that matters, that God forgives us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, that we only have eternal forgiveness of our sins from God through the redemptive work of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so God's forgiveness only comes because of our belief in Jesus' death and resurrection, irregardless of what other people think or feel about us. And so in light of those teachings, forgive, forgive somebody one time, forgive somebody three times, uh, uh, what God considers, whether God considers them forgiven or not depends on whether you forgive them. That was the common Jewish teaching. In response to that, Peter asked that question, how many times should I forgive somebody who wrongs me? And so Peter, in the back of his mind thinking, okay, some groups teach one time, some groups teach three times. Well, I'm with Jesus, so Peter says, okay, Jesus, what if I forgive them seven times? That's the holy number. That's more than twice what those, some of those guys are teaching. That's got to be right. That makes me more holy than all those people. I forgive them seven times, Jesus. I, I mean, that's right. Right, Jesus? I can go up to seven. I can go, they, they wronged me four times, forgiven. Wronged me five times, forgiven. Six, seven, Jesus, seven times. But he had no idea how Jesus was going to respond. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations may say seven times 70. Either way, the idea is, is not to keep track of how many times you forgive. You see, what Jesus says here, this is a turn of phrase. This isn't a literal keep track up to 77 times situation. 
This is a turn of phrase that Jesus is saying. It means that the exact number is not the issue. Because we're not, we are to keep right on forgiving on into eternity, on into forever. Jesus says not seven times, Peter. Seventy. You think seven's a holy number? How about 77? How about you just keep on going? You don't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. You just keep forgiving. They do it again, forgive again. They do it again, forgive again. Peter thought he was in the right. You ever have a teacher in class ask you a question and you answer the question with 100% confidence knowing it's exactly right only for the teacher to say, yeah, no, you're wrong. Then you don't want to answer the question ever again. Peter answered this, he answered his own question with 100% confidence seven times. He thought Jesus was going to give him a gold star, elevate him. Remember, he just, they were just having that discussion earlier in the chapter about which disciple is the greatest. And now Peter's up there saying, up to seven times Jesus. And he's looking around his disciples saying, he's going to look at me. I'm going to be the greatest because I just said up to seven times. And in front of everybody, Jesus says, no, Peter, 77 times. Everybody's shocked, Peter most of all. You don't keep track, you just keep on going. You keep on forgiving again and again and again. And in response to that, Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives a parable here. Verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, when Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about when we're in heaven. He's talking about God's kingdom. That is all of God's people, his followers, his Christians. He says, you want to be in the, the kingdom of heaven, in uh, uh, God's kingdom? That's, he's talking about being a believer, being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. He says, this is what it's like. The king wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, before we get into it, this is a, I just want to clarify, this is a parable. When Jesus taught in parables, they were parables and not allegories. In allegories, everything in the story represents something else. But that's not the case with parables. We want to do that because we've read so many allegories. We want to make everything mean something. But that's not how a parable works. A parable tries to teach one truth. And if we try to draw too many comparisons, it breaks down the whole story. And so remember, Jesus is telling this parable to illustrate the one truth, how often are we supposed to forgive? That's what he's trying to uh, uh, convey here. He says it's like this. A king uh, wants to settle his accounts, everyone who's borrowed against him. When he began to settle, verse 24, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now to us, reading that doesn't sound like that big a deal. Uh... But again, just like Jesus illustrated with Peter, he's going to illustrate by saying 10,000 talents. The exact number does not matter. 10,000 was the highest Greek number they had in their language. And talent, and so Greek was what everybody spoke. 10,000 is the highest number they had in their language. Talent was the highest form of Roman money they had of the day. So you got 10,000, highest Greek number, Talent, highest form of money. This is like a bajillion, quadrillion dollars. I mean, it's, it's something far beyond anybody would contemplate. It's a number they cannot fathom. 
Jesus said. So the number doesn't matter. He says, this guy owes an impossible amount of money. Is what he's saying here. An impossible amount of money. Uh, 10,000 talents, verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all he had in payment to be made. And again, this too, he's selling them into slavery, but first century Middle Eastern slavery is different from what we as Americans understand as slavery in our past, our American history. First century uh, uh, Middle Eastern Roman slavery was you were sold into slavery for a period of time to work off a debt or to build up savings. It was a rare occurrence for somebody to be in slavery for all time as a first century Roman citizen. They were slaves for a period of time to pay off debt or for money. Now, if this guy owes 10,000 talents, it's probably a life sentence here. But it was common practice. History tells us that up to 80% of Roman citizenship at one time or another were slaves selling themselves or being sold to pay off debts in this way. And so the king does that to this guy. You, your wife, your kids, you're all going to be sold to try to pay off this debt, which is 10,000 talents. It's impossible. Again, Jesus is telling a parable to illustrate how often we're supposed to forgive. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, this is important. Forgave him the debt. The entire debt, he forgives him. The impossible debt is forgiven. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So he owed a hundred denarii. Now, again, the number doesn't matter. Because Jesus is trying to illustrate the difference between 10,000 talents, the impossible number, and 100 denarii. denarii. A denarius was how much you'd make in about a day. And so this amount is something his hearers would understand. They could, they could fathom 100 denarii. They could fathom 100 days worth of work. This would make sense to them. Whereas the other number doesn't make sense to them. This number would make sense. Some of them probably owe this amount. And he says this, this one servant owes an impossible amount has it forgiven, goes immediately out and sees somebody who owes him a a significantly smaller amount, and he grabs him and gets to choke him. Choke him out. Pay what you owe, he says to him. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Now again, this is the exact same wording as the first servant earlier in, in the passage. Jesus did that on purpose. And he said, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, or torturers is a literal translation of that word, until he should pay his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
Now, Jesus says that last verse there, but he's not, again, he's, this is not about salvation. This is not about someone's uh, a status of salvation here. This is about forgiving each other. It's what he's talking about in this whole parable. That's the one thing he's trying to illustrate, how often we're supposed to forgive each other, how much we're supposed to forgive each other. This is about believers forgiving each other. It's not a treatise or, or, or a, 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 a great teaching on one's personal salvation. It's about how much we are supposed to forgive each other. If you're forgiven much, you're supposed to forgive much. The first servant had a great deal forgiven, an impossible amount, and a, a massive, unfathomable amount of money forgiven. And he goes out and sees a, some servant who owes a lesser amount, and he will not forgive. He withholds forgiveness even though he's received it. He withholds forgiveness even though he's been given an unlimited amount. Last week, on our Wednesday night study, we're going through Colossians. And this, ver- this is one of the verses we looked at last week. Peter writes this, or Paul writes this in Colossians. He said, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You bear with them an unlimited amount of patience with each other. If someone has a complaint against another believer, he's talking about here, that means a grievance or an offense or a blame or an accusation. If, if, if It doesn't even have to be what they did against you. doesn't even have to be something they know they did against you. It doesn't have to be intentional. doesn't have to be bad, but you interpreted it as bad. Maybe they didn't even do it, and you just blame them for something. But if you are holding something against somebody, that's what that word means. Paul says outright, forgive them. Why? The Lord's forgiven you. So also you must forgive. So he says it twice. You forgive because the Lord forgave, so you better forgive. You've been forgiven, so forgive. No matter what that person has done against you, you forgive it. You forgive it. No matter the offense, you forgive it. Because forgiveness must be given without hesitation or qualification or expectation or requirement. You shouldn't require something from somebody before you offer forgiveness. Because Jesus doesn't require anything from us. He gives his forgiveness without us having to earn it. And so what Paul said in that verse is, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I've got to forgive. Because there's absolutely no legitimate excuse for a disciple of Jesus who has received Jesus' full and unlimited forgiveness to withhold forgiveness from somebody else. There's no legitimate excuse to withhold forgiveness from somebody. I am to forgive because the Lord has forgiven me. The entire capability of me being able to forgive anyone depends on me Honestly, being able to keep my forgiven status with Jesus in mind. If I'm constantly aware of how much Jesus has forgiven me, then it will not be difficult for me to forgive other people. If I'm constantly remembering, oh, Jesus has forgiven me so much, it will not be hard to forgive somebody else because I'm constantly remembering how much Jesus has done for me. But the only way to do that is to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
If we take our eyes off of Jesus and put our eyes on the person who wronged us and put our eyes on the situation that is bothering us, that is a problem for us, then we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and all we're seeing is, is this situation over here, then no, we're not going to forgive them. We're not going to forgive the situation because we are intentionally keeping it at forefront of our mind. But Paul said, forgive, forgive, no matter what. Forgive, no matter what. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not the offending person or the offending situation. Because if I put my eyes over there on the offending person or situation, I will withhold forgiveness, only wanting vengeance, cleverly disguised as justice. You see, here's the thing. When we're offended by somebody or a situation and we withhold forgiveness, what, what goes through our minds is we picture this, uh, a wall being built between us and that person, damaging our relationship that it's not going back to being the same. It, the way we see it is they, they did something against me, they sinned against me, they wronged me, and so they have come and they have built this wall, they have built this, this fence in between me and them. They messed it up. But that's the wrong way to see it. That's not the real thing that's happening. Because what's really going on is I'm involved in a secret construction project. They haven't built a wall between me and them because I can still see them. I'm focusing on them. What's really happening is I have built a wall between me and Jesus. I have built a fence of offense between me and Jesus. Because I'm not looking at Jesus, I'm looking at the situation of the person. I'm looking at the situation or the person. I'm blocking my view of Jesus with my feelings of hurt and anger and bitterness so that I can look and focus on this person and what they've done wrong to me and how they have messed me up and how they did wrong and they are, are in the wrong and they need to get right and Jesus needs to go and mess them up. And so but what's happened is I have built that wall and I've separated myself from Jesus' influence on me and allowed this, this poison of anger and resentment and unforgiveness to create the cancer of bitterness within my heart. It's eating away, chewing away at it. The longer I allow it to go on and, and the, 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 the longer I allow that, that fence of offense, that wall to be up between me and Jesus, the longer I stay focused on what this person has done and think about what this person has done and, and, and uh, make a list and file it away and keep it, I'm poisoning myself with this. If my eyes are on Jesus, though, I'm better able to see and understand the depth of his forgiveness of my sin. But when my eyes are on the offending person or situation, the offense has blocked my view of Jesus. But the thing is, too, I cannot take down the wall that I built. I may have built that wall and that fence between me and Jesus, but I can't remove it. The only way to remove it is to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and allow him to tear it down. I can't tear it down. I don't have the strength, the spiritual stamina to pull it down. Only he can do it. I can try to do it, but it's not going to make do any good. Only he can pull it down. I've got to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and allow him to pull it down. And when he pulls it down, it's down for good. As long as I keep my eyes on him. 
But the second I take my eyes off of Jesus and begin to put my eyes back on the offense and the offending situation, the offending person, that wall begins to be built up again. That separation begins to be built up again. That doesn't mean you're not forgiven by Jesus anymore. That doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. You still are. But the relationship is harmed. It's not the same. Because you're not able to communicate with him as much anymore. It's similar to Tony Evans um, talked about it uh, in these terms, your relationship with Jesus, uh, similar to you know, going to church and reading your Bible and praying. Um, if you, somebody says, I don't need to do all that stuff to be a Christian, well, no, you don't. But you also don't need to go home to be married. But if you stay away long enough, the relationship's going to be affected. In a similar fashion, when I stay away from Jesus long enough, the relationship's going to be affected. If I leave the wall up so that I can focus and, and, and be mad and be angry, because honestly, we're not going to raise our hands, some of us like that feeling. It makes us feel justified. They're in the wrong, I'm in the right, and they need to know they're in the wrong, and I need to just stamp on them while they're down and grind them into the ground a little bit. Makes me feel better that I know they're not feeling good. But Paul still says, forgive them. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, you keep on forgiving, or forgiving because you're forgiven. Don't stop. You keep going. And the thing is, when my eyes are on Jesus, it's not like I'm never going to see that person or that situation again. But when my eyes are on Jesus, I begin to see the person as he does. Someone that he has already forgiven. Or if they're not a believer, somebody who's in need of forgiveness. When my eyes are on Jesus, it changes my perspective of how I see everybody else. And we may think we have a good understanding of the word forgiveness and what it means. So I did a deep dive looking up every word in scripture that means forgiveness. And there's quite a few. Uh, and before I get into it, don't raise your hand, but are you ready to be convicted? Um, I found the word that's most commonly used, particularly in the Old Testament definition. And then I didn't like that definition, so I started looking at all the other words. And they all pretty much mean the same thing. In Scripture, sometimes, you know, words can mean a ver you know, some nuance here and there. But when it comes to forgiveness, all of them mean the same thing. All of them. You would think Jesus is trying to tell us something here. Because I'm going to say it, let it sink in, and I'm going to say it again. Because it took me a while to really let it sink in. This is what forgiveness means in Scripture. To remove an offense from consideration. To remove an offense from consideration. Meaning, when you see that person, the offense is not the thing that comes to mind. When you see the person, that doesn't cross your mind because you have removed it from consideration. That doesn't mean you're completely naive. No, no, but... How you feel, your interaction with the person or the situation. If you have really forgiven them, you have removed it from consideration completely. 
I mean, think about Jesus. That's what he did for us. He forgave us. And so all of our sins have been removed from consideration, and now we're free to have this complete relationship with God. But when we forgive each other, we say, I forgive you. But we kind of hold on to the thing and keep it in our back pocket. And it's going to come back later. They don't know it, but I'm going to bring it back when they're least expecting it. Or maybe I run into them on the aisle at Walmart because I can't find the bread that we always get. Somebody else got it, and I'm just looking, okay, what's backup bread? And that person comes down the aisle, and that feeling, your heart begins to beat, and that feeling comes back. Man, I'll get bread later. I don't need bread. I'll go, I'll go to the... I don't, eat, I don't eat sandwiches this week. I get a tortilla. And we begin to have those feelings just come up because maybe the forgiveness isn't really there because we're not looking at Jesus. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's just the preacher who does that. <laughs> those, those feelings and those thoughts. Removing an offense completely from consideration. That means no longer bringing it up to them no longer bringing it up in our own minds. Because if it keeps coming up in conversation, if it keeps coming up within our own minds, the forgiveness isn't really there because we have been looking at them and the situation and the problem more than we've been looking at Jesus. If we're looking to Jesus, then what we're seeing is how much he has forgiven us, how much he has removed from consideration for us. What happened in Jesus' parable? That servant walked out from having been forgiveness and what immediately left his mind was how much he'd been forgiven because all he saw was that servant who owed him, who owed him. And he stopped thinking about the forgiveness he just got and start, started thinking about what was owed to him. If we can keep in our minds what Jesus has done for us by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus... What other people owe us will leave our minds. Be removed from consideration. Because what everybody in the world is either somebody who has been forgiven or somebody who's in need of forgiveness. If we keep our eyes focused more on Jesus. If through a more extensive focus on Jesus, we begin to remove that something from consideration and we begin to forgive, then we're no longer keeping a record of wrongs handy for retribution because it's been removed. It's been erased. That page has been torn out. We're not hanging on to it anymore. Having received Jesus' unlimited forgiveness, we're supposed to give unlimited forgiveness. Give it out. Hand it out. You get forgiveness, and you get forgiveness, and you get forgiveness. Because my ability to forgive is directly tied to how well I can focus on Jesus. If I can focus on Jesus, then that forgiveness to others will not be an issue because I'm seeing him and not the problem. I'm seeing him and not the pain. I'm seeing him because he's healing me. He's bringing me through this storm. He's making it possible. Trying to do it under my own strength is not going to work because we're not strong enough. We weren't made to carry that burden. He was. An increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. 
An increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. You say, preacher, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, neither do I. But Jesus gave it anyway. It's not about what you deserve. If we all got what we deserve, none of us would be going to heaven. He gives us grace and mercy and gives us heaven when we believe, giving us everlasting forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness. That's what blows my mind. You know, 1 John 1, 8, 1 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess and believe he forgives us at that moment, knowing we're going to still sin against him tomorrow. He already forgave us knowing we're going to do it again. How readily would you forgive somebody knowing they're just going to do the same thing again tomorrow? Maybe not even tomorrow. Maybe like in an hour, they're just going to do it again. You'd be like, okay, I'll just forgive you. I know you're going to do it again. I'll just forgive you again. Is that easy? I mean, and to think about it from God's perspective. He created us. And then we go out and we sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. And he forgives us on the front end when we believe, knowing it's going to keep happening. He already forgave. Maybe you're a better person than I am, but I'd be like, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. You get like three, and then you're done. Like, it's like lives on a video game. Okay, you're game over. Like we're just wiping this one out. Unplug that machine. You're done. But an increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. He has a never-ending supply of forgiveness flowing to us, meaning it ought to be flowing through us. And the thing about forgiveness, you know, unforgiveness, withholding forgiveness, creates anger and, and produces bitterness and it eats away at our hearts, our souls. Forgiveness does the opposite. Because in forgiveness, there's freedom. It's like we have let go of this massive weight that's been weighing us down. Because when we think about withholding forgiveness, we think about we're trying to make that person suffer. We're trying to make that person pay for what they did to us. But what it's really happening is it's creating this massive weight in us, not them, in us. What somebody said uh, one time, a very famous preacher, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It messes us up when we withhold forgiveness. But forgiveness is freedom. All that weight is gone. All those chains and shackles are gone. And we're able to walk around with that forgiveness. An increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. What's that story, Katie? Was it Corey Tinboom? Forgiven the guy, one of the, the Nazi perpetrators. She was in a concentration camp. Sister died in the concentration camp. Tortured by those Nazis. And then the war's over. She's going around. Uh, she's, she's teaching on forgiveness, giving all these speeches. And who walks up to shake her hand at the end of one of those speeches? The worst of the worst Nazi torture that was in the concentration camp where she was at and her sister died. And he reaches out his hand to shake her hand. 
you got to read her book. What's the book? I, I'm blanking. The Hiding Place, phenomenal book. She reaches out her hand to shake this guy's hand, or he reaches out her hand and she stands still, and she gives this whole big long thing about everything that's going through her mind at the moment. This guy killed my sister. This guy did this. He was standing there when they were doing this. He, uh, he approved of all of this. And it was like in the moment, Jesus was speaking to her heart. You just told all these people about forgiveness. Here is your opportunity. Jesus, I don't want to do that. Do you, you know what he did? Yes. And I forgave. She said, and she reached out her hand to shake his hand. It was like the Holy Spirit was flowing through her in the moment, giving her the strength she didn't know she had. And after that moment, she thought it was over. I mean, before she got there, but then seeing the guy, all of that came back. But in the moment when they touched hands and shook hands, there was immediate freedom because of the forgiveness that the Spirit allowed her to give. Because her focus shifted from being not on the guy standing in front of her. Her focus became all about Jesus, allowing the forgiveness. An increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. So the question is, who do you need to forgive? Is there anything that you still need to remove from consideration in your relationship with somebody? You need to remove that element from consideration. Say, I don't know how to do that. It's right there on the screen. Focus on Jesus. That's how you do it. Look to Jesus. That's how you do it. It's not an immediate thing. It's going to be a process. It's going to be time. You've got to invest in this, in your own spirit, in your spiritual strength. But you've got to focus on Jesus. That's the only way it's going to happen. To remove the unforgiveness. To have it, that poison sucked out of you is by focusing on Jesus and allowing him to take care of it. Is there anyone that you need to forgive right now? Maybe, maybe it's a person who's not even alive anymore. Is there somebody you need to forgive that may be already gone? Maybe somebody you need to forgive is living in your own house. Maybe they're in this room and they're sitting in a green pew too. Is there somebody you need to forgive because of a situation that keeps coming up in your mind? You see them, you see them driving their car around town, and you get that, that, feeling, that look on your face and that feeling in your... If I was Jesus... An increased focus on Jesus increases my ability to forgive. Changes who we are. Gives us freedom. What do you need to remove from consideration? Who do you need to forgive? To focus on Jesus' forgiveness of you. Maybe today what needs to happen is you need to be forgiven by Jesus. He has already done all the work by dying and raising from the dead. All you need is belief. Will you believe that Jesus is God's son? He died so all of those sins would be forgiven by God. 
And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And in that moment of belief, you receive forgiveness forever. All sins wiped out. All sins removed from consideration. Eternity granted in one instant when you believe. Will you believe today and receive God's forgiveness?